Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this special episode of In the Can, our succession series, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network, and brought to you by Blue Note Bourbon, of course, we're joined by the one and only Arya Moyet, who, of course, plays Stewie on Succession. He's fantastic. Y'all are going to love him. So let's just get right into it and do the damn thing. Now we're joined by a Tony Award-winning actor, acclaimed writer-director, showrunner of an Emmy-nominated series, and he plays our favorite private equity investor, Stewie. <laughs> he, he actually demanded that we give him a board seat and a slider so he'd come on the show. Uh, it's Arian Moyad, everyone. Arian, welcome, Hel- man. Thanks for coming Hello, on. Hello, everybody. How are you guys? Good. I'm good. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on. This is our Succession podcast, and uh, we're in the middle of our series. We just released episode five, so we've done half the show, and we're looking to- Thanksgiving uh, do- episode. Yeah. And, uh, and we're about to do the second half of the season, but we figured might as well have a good time to have you on, man. Yeah, man. Let's totally do it. I'm just letting you know that I am in the dressing room at the Hampstead Theater in uh, London right now where I'm doing the Broadway transfer of the show that we did called The Humans that was on Broadway here in London. So if you see any dressing room stuff attire, it's only because this has the best Wi-Fi. <laughs> I like that. So yeah. we're going to get really inside baseball here in the background. Sure. See a lot of good theater stuff. Yeah, sure. How'd you get involved with succession? Did Jesse Armstrong come to you or was this a, you went to a casting call or what was the beginning of the process? I think the beginning of the process for me actually started earlier. I auditioned for the pilot um, and did not get anything. I wasn't right for anything, but I was up for Lawrence, which ended up being played by the brilliant Rob Yang Um and uh, so that's how I, I read the pilot then. And then, um, and then, you know, like a year went by and then they called and then there was like this audition for this other part. And I remember distinctly the pilot because when you read a lot, when you audition for a bunch of things, you read a lot of, you just read a lot of stuff that's just kind of, you know, that doesn't really hit home and or doesn't really make an impact. But Succession definitely did. And then this episode that they, they, they sent me that, did they send me the episode? They did send me the episode of episode three. And I read that and I was totally kind of engaged by it. But I kind of think that they were maybe, I don't know what they were wanting. The cool thing about the show is that I think they really geared towards the actor and what the actor wants to bring to it. And so what they were doing, I was kind of, um, how do I say this? I kind of didn't know if this is what they were looking for, but this is kind of how I wanted to play the part. And so I kind of went in and kind of did my thing on it. And then, and then it got kind of like so, insane for a second. So, so you are playing a part. This isn't actually just an extension of your life, right? Absolutely. That's Dewey. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a part. You know, it's funny. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I do have billions of dollars. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, fun- I'm going to fund this podcast uh, like Connor does. <laughs> Connor is doing a uh, podcast of epic proportions. What do you say? Um, We're actually in the middle of the desert right now, podcasting. Uh, we've got our in the middle of the yeah, in the middle of New Mexico. This is going to so. launch uh, Connor's presidential run. Actually, <laughs> totally, totally. So anyway, and then I kind of you know I I you know I did what I wanted to do, and I kind of remember at the casting call, you know, when you do these things and you really want and, you, and if you like the part, you re- and you really want to make sure that you want to do what you want to do because. You know, if you get it and you're trying to do what they want to do, then you might have to do that for six years. And so, you know, I definitely kind of went in with like a very distinct idea of and, 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 and you know, the, a distinct idea of a guy that just kind of was a little bit, you know, just kind of like chill 
honestly. No, nothing really to, um, you know, I want him to be very real. I want him to have a little bit of that frat boy quality. But, you know, I also want him to just to be just like really relaxed about it all. And so I did it. And then I went to a callback. And then it was Mark Milode in there. And he was so sweet and amazing. And then we did a bunch of um, versions of it, actually different versions of like what this character could be. And then, um, and then I got a call like like late at night, like at like eleven or twelve at night, that I got the job, and I'm shooting the next day at five a.m. And then awesome. we shot the yeah, and we shot the bench scene. My first scene that I shot was that bench scene with me and Sandy. Yeah, and you had to yeah. give that real pensive, sketchy look. Totally. You did some some great acting without any dialogue there. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I didn't have all the scripts yet. I only had three, <laughs> and so yeah. at, when I got cast, and it was I got cast very very late in the evening. They're like, here are all the scripts. And I kind of want to be like, well, first of all, what's this? I'm not going to read this right now. I mean, it's, right. you know, 1 a.m. Um, and so and so I was just and they were like very chill about it. They were like, you know, the first thing that you have is this bench scene with Sandy Furness. And this is the first time I've even heard of Sandy Furness. And so that night I actually ended up reading three just to kind of get an idea of what was going on. And I figured out that Sandy was, you know, a, um, a dude that was, uh, you know, on you know the opposite team and so i just kind of put pieces together so they give you the entire show's worth of scripts at the forefront is that how it typically no, works or? not okay. at all um i actually never read five until i saw it because i'm not okay. in five the guys that you got the one that you guys just did mm-hmm. um which is thanksgiving i never i've never um i've never read that until i saw it i just knew that it was a i knew that the guys had said the guys and gals had said there was a thanksgiving episode the shit hit the fan and um that's all i kind of knew yeah. Um, so no, they definitely did not give us an advanced script of anything. I definitely asked for an advance of episode nine before we went out to England, um, just because I was getting through the gate find that there was a lot of uh, stuff for me in it, and I just wanted to make sure that I was sure what was going on and, and capable of doing it. And right. Arian, let me ask, actually ask you about that because it seems as if as the season progresses. Um, I mean, your character continues to come to the forefront and really be at the heart of a lot of very important things. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how you got a sense for when that was that? Yeah, uh, the evolution of that. I didn't have a sense of it. You know, I honestly, it, 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 the only way that I had a sense of it, I'm trying to prop this up in a better way. I got it. Uh, the, you know, quite honestly, I, you know, I have to go and look back, um, but I kind of, recall on the phone saying that I was only going to be in two episodes uh, when I first got the job. Um, and then I think they just kind of like started building a little bit around the dynamic of it all and figuring out how like that all was going to play itself out. And I didn't, you know, I, I really knew nothing, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not a series regular. And so I knew nothing about any of that stuff. And so, um, and I didn't really care to ask because it's really not my place. I just wanted to get the jobs that I was, you know, just do the jobs that I was doing. And, and then, and then it started becoming a little clearer that, that basically when the, when the boardroom happened, that, that, that there was going to be more and more stuff coming in and, and, and kind of how he was kind of kind of be a little bit of a linchpin for some of these episodes, um, including, I think, Seven, which is like, you know, where it's me and Brian Cox basically tell him that, you know, everyone fucking hates you. And, um, and, then, and, then, and then that sparked this, like, you know, PR campaign that he was pulling. Um, so, yeah, I kind of didn't know much. You know, I just kind of, like, went along with it. I was on the airplane I was on the airplane going to London when I read 10. We knew that they were going to do a table read on the Saturday for 9 and 10 together at the castle. And I couldn't, I I wasn't going to make that because my daughter had a concert. And so I wasn't going to make it. And so they, I said, you know, if you keep the moment that you guys hand out 10, um, and because 10, don't quote me on this, but I think 10 might have been a cold read. Uh, with everyone and so when i got on the airplane i got 10 in, in my email and i read that and then after i read 10 i was like what the fuck what's going on <laughs> um so yeah so yeah i don't know much and you know this is serendipitous that you're we're talking to this day because i just came from the writer's room that's oh. here in london have they, got, have they got you on the writer's room are, there, are you in the process yet i mean i feel like you need to write an episode now I have to, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I think, um, 
they definitely did not give me any details. Um, but uh, but it was cool seeing those guys. That's cool. I yeah. actually, I'm glad to hear you say they didn't give you any details because we do want to ask your own personal thoughts about yeah. you know kind of where you think it's heading. And really, too, I want to make a quick point and, and get your thoughts on it. And that's one of the things we've really loved and kind of dissected through our pod is the fact yeah. that Jesse Armstrong does such a great job and his team of writers of really leaving up to the viewer where people's true motives lie. Um, and mm. so with someone like you, with someone like, man, the fantastic Jay Smith Cameron, we love, we're big Jerry fans. Love to talk about her. Team Jerry. Um, team Jerry. <laughs> but we're constantly evaluating and discussing amongst ourselves. It's like, you know, for someone like Stewie or for even someone like Jerry, it's like you never really know what your ultimate motive or aim of this whole end game is. I mean, it's, it's as if, you know, are you wedded to wanting Sandy to get ultimately what it is he wants, or are you partially um, loyal to, you know, seeing Kendall be named CEO once the takeover does or does not happen? Um, mm. No one really, I don't feel as if there's a direct answer to that. Um, give us your thoughts on, you know, what you think about that, where you think Stewie or what you think Stewie ultimately wants to get out of this whole takeover plot. Yeah. To be completely honest, I, I have no idea what they're thinking and I never knew what they were thinking while we were getting the scripts. Truthfully. Um, there is, I, I, you know, again, I'm not a regular on the show and I wasn't there from the jump. And I think again, a lot of the, what was happening with all of us was that they were developing the characters as the scripts were kind of maneuvering. And so quite honestly, I, 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 I had no expectations and I still kind of don't have any expectations. What I do know is that I think that, you know, again, I'm obviously biased because I'm playing the guy, but um, I think what's amazing about Stewie is that he is really, really, really truthful. Um, He he really tells you that he just says it, says it as it is. Um, There's an argument to be made that he withholds truths, but that's not, um, that's not really, I mean, that's just good business. So, in a weird way, I think that like what you see is what you get with him in a weird in a weird way. Um, and I know that that if he were if I was just saying this to to the team, you know, right now is like one of the things I admire about him in that first episode that he's in. You know, uh, Kendall comes in, pitches, "Hey, why don't you you know buy in or whatever?" And instantaneously, this guy um, makes maneuvers um and very quickly and very fast and that's a sign of a good businessman more than anything um i think there's people that want to label everything um on all of our characters but you know for me i I just continue hoping that he is very very truthful and he's very and he's honestly that he's just that 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 he's keeps being a, a, a great at business i mean if you think about it he's the one that says don't talk to frank just like, don't talk to that dude. Like, and not right now. One of now. my favorite lines, too. What, what did he, you say? Like, <laughs> fucking Grandfather Frank or something? Yeah, Grandfather Clock. Yeah. I call him the Grandfather Clock, Peter Freeman. He's one of the great actors. It's, it's so embarrassing because he's one of our theater legends here. But, yeah, we definitely – we yeah. I mean – I, that's there's nothing there's not no, I mean that's the truth like we're about to take over a major company in a epic kind of takeover that happens once every decade and um here you are chatting up with a guy that was basically the conciliary to Brian Cut it's like dude yeah. shut your mouth <laughs> like we're doing something big and so so like that I think that's just great business you know um and also this is my side of the street. What's cool about the show is it doesn't tell you. And so what's cool about that is, is that you don't have, we're not, we're not placating to anyone. You're, you're, you guys have to figure out who these people are yeah. with your value systems and judge you on your value systems. You put it on us. Um, and so people are like, well, that the 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 Sandy thing um, where where Sandy when we got Sandy on the phone and 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 the takeover had to be done this weekend you knew about that all along I'm like well hey I don't know if I knew about that all along um, I don't think I did on my side of the street I don't think I did um, but 
if I even if I did do it all along, wouldn't that be the best business move? I mean, wouldn't that if we're taking this over and 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 Brian know and you know Logan knows this. Logan says in that episode, he goes, "I have a lot of thing. I need a lot of things that I don't have." When he's talking to Marsha, mm-hmm. he's like, I, "I need a lot of things that I don't have right now because in his mind, it's a game, and in this game, he is putting in the pieces. He's like, they're doing this now because I'm here and I have a lot of things that I don't have, and so." Even if it were that we we had this pre-planned from the from the jump, which I don't think it was, but even if it were, uh, he's it's just good business. Um, it's and ruthless and it's and it's and it's and it's awful. And these people are, you know, you know, not people that I want to hang out with at any time or want to would trust in anything. But they are what you know they they are what they are. Yeah, and I would say too, I'm really fascinated by the fact that. Um, you know, in episode 10, you have this dichotomy of you and Kendall. And I think all season, as you've said, we've, we've been given a view into Stewie being kind of a slick wheeler and dealer um, that definitely likes to wet his beak and have fun. And yet sure. he also displays a level yeah. of restraint that Kendall cannot, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, Totally. Totally. I mean, he says it. He goes, dude, we, we, he wants to check in at two, four and six, you know, uh, GMT, like in London time, dude, or whatever, UK time. Like we got shit. And it's so funny to me. What's great about the, you know, what Jesse has done in that episode. I know we, we might want to talk about not just that episode, but I will keep speaking about it is that in the, in the last moments, and this is a spoiler for anyone that hasn't seen it, um, but in the last moments of, of season one, you know, Brian he wants to be like, hey, I, I, I know what happened last night, again, spoiler alert, um, is that he says, he says, he goes, I've been up all night preparing my defense. So while Brian's character, while Logan was up all night working hard to make sure that he can battle this huge bear hug, which will have ramifications that are just massive. Um, Kendall's out getting, you know, getting in a stranger's car, doing a, you know, it's like, and that's That's why I said, I'm like, dude, we have to get, go tomorrow. We have to check in every two hours. Sandy wants us to check in. And right now, like, I almost wanted to be like, dude, let's just chill here. We can get wasted, lock the door, you know what I mean? Do whatever. Like, you don't we'll have to go We'll turn on the Big Lebowski in the background, you know, we'll yeah, smoke a day. Yeah, watch the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Be cool, be chill, and, like, move on from there. Um, but the reality is that's not, you know, that's not an addict's first choice. Yeah. Um, and, and... And, uh, you know, again, people are like, you did that on purpose. To, uh, it's like, okay. Or I'm just saying what I'm saying. It's like, Motherfucker, we got work to do. <laughs> Sit down, bitch. We're you... taking over. <laughs> Don't you wish you'd gotten some ketamine? You wish you'd just got some yeah. ketamine and passed the fuck yeah. out right there. Ketamine. Pass out. <laughs> Pass out. Um, What's so, wild is yeah. Logan's like so, 80, man. And he's like, he's the logical one. He's 80. And he's staying up all night preparing his defense. And you got these young bucks that theoretically should have all the energy in the world that don't do what they need to do. Yeah. I mean, again, Jesse, that line is very, very telling. That line of, I have a lot of, I need a lot of things that I don't have, or I might be paraphrasing, but something like, I, have a, I need a lot of things that I don't have. That's the first thing that he thinks about. That's where his mindset is, which kind of goes all the way back to, it's an accumulation, Kendall. You know, it's an accumulation of why I don't think you should be running this company. I mean, that's my POV. We've talked a couple times about uh, Logan being the only one who can see the entire chessboard. What piece mm. would you say Stewie is on that chessboard? Mm. Um, you know, I think he's probably a. I think he's probably. Uh, that's a great question. I guess he'd be a knight. Oh. I think he'd be. Yeah. What would you? Why think? is what that? Why think? is that? Oh, well, we want to hear why. <laughs> um, because the knight needs to think like five steps ahead. You know, um, because you always have to like cross in weird ways. You have to always think like you have to you have to move in a non you know straight way. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I guess that would be the version of it. And also, you know, this is a guy that that uh, a private equity guy that like uh, 
you know, it's said early on gobbles up all these small companies in hopes that some of them hit, or if it doesn't, you know, passes, you know, passes them around. Um, uh, essentially, like you know, the, that's a long game. That's a very, very long game, and and you have to be very nimble, and um, and and also, you know, the night is a very, you know, it's a it's a cool piece. It's 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 it it can it can kind of touch every. Outside of the queen and the king, and uh, it, it could really kind of touch every piece, every te- every place on the board. Take advantage of the setups that the other people do. Like when Kendall yeah. comes to you with this blue chip offer, you got to be ready to strike strong and hard. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And, we'll and take that. Get, we'll take that answer. We'll take that. <laughs> well, I just made it up. I could, I could, I can call you guys later and be like, no, I was totally. <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely any, think any supplementary um, uh, chess metaphors you have, feel free to send them along. <laughs> oh, please, please. Yeah. I, I do think that he is very good at what he does. I think the evidence bears that fruit. Um, I think that Stewie is very good at this. Um, to, to basically, you know, get on the board to make sure that, you know, let Sandy in on that to then um, to also know full right that in an episode, I guess it was four where Stewie shows up and he goes, your dad's here, you know, immediately knowing that like, why is your dad here? Like your dad is obviously not what can't be great. (laughs) I mean, he just had had this thing happen. Like he can't be like, he can't be like up and running. Right. And so Stewie's immediately and, you know, and 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 when it goes, you know, when in the the vote of no confidence in the episode that you guys will do next again, no spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, But in the next episode, I mean, that's basically, you know, um, that's basically he's he's like, you're fucking with my money, Ken. I mean, like, dude, like we are you're moving some really fast pieces and you better win. Right. You know, um, I, I, I think that's the other thing about him. Like he picks winners and to abstain at that vote, I think was, I think was actually the right move. I think he tells Ken, Hey, I follow the money. Like, you know, I follow yeah. the money. Like, and, uh, yeah. but you did, you did fuck him like a tied goat though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, you know, there was, I think, I don't remember there, this, these lines, might these lines were definitely cut, but I don't know what episode they were in, maybe like a nine or something. He's like, well, you, you, he brought that up or something or something like that. Like he brought, like Kendall brought that up to me again. And I said, oh, you wanted me to, and, and, and then it turned into a little bit of improv, I guess. And then, I, and I was like, oh, you wanted me to vote for the guy that showed up late to the no vote, vote of no confidence of his dad showing up sweaty. You want me to vote for that guy? That doesn't make any sense to you. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Right. That's, that's bad business. You know, like I think Logan understands the. He's like, don't you understand? It's a game. He understands that this is a game, business, and capitalism and money, and for better and probably for worse, Stewie understands that. Understands that very well. So you mentioned improv. What did, what, did the showrunner Jesse Armstrong encourage that a lot? I mean, was was were they airtight to script, or was it like, hey, you guys do your own thing, work in the characters? Um, I would say, I would say we always got a free one. Um, we always got a free take where we can kind of like play, um, a lot of this stuff that, I mean, I would say 90% is stuff that you are, you, that was written by the amazing writers. Um, but you know, we, you know, there, I think there's like examples of like using your environment in your scenario. I think there's this one section in the, in and what episode would that be? Eight, I guess, the bachelor party that um, that it's me and Roman, um, and I was talking to that uh, this lady that was dressed in an astronaut suit, mm-hmm. and and the and you could barely hear it, but but it starts and it starts with improv because I'm supposed to be talking with her, and I'm like. I'm telling her, I'm like, I think you should go into PR. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then, and then, and just because I thought that like, he's never stopping to talk about business. Yeah. And then Roman comes in and Roman, and then we're like having a little, little like spat, a little quarrel. And then the, the, the astronaut lady walks away and, and then he like turns around and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, miss astronaut lady. And like, she's like running off or whatever. 
<laughs> like that kind of stuff is is what we can only do within our the environment that the amazing designers and the people that have set out for us. Does that make sense? That like, oh, we, if if we don't utilize it, it would lose a little bit of what I consider has have, having a little bit of like a not documentary feel, but like a cinema verte feel that I think the show really strives on. That I think like might not be for one everyone, but it does have this idea that we're peeking into these lives. Um, um, I think that's the, the way the cameras work. I think that's how like the scenes are structured in very odd, peculiar ways. Um, I think that there is some, and also you want it to fit in your mouth. Do you know what I mean? You wanted to make sure that it like, so like if the line, I'm, I'm bullshitting, but if the line is like, so like, um, like, you know, Hey, um, I'm doing this podcast, uh, comma, as they hear say in Britain, lovely, like that wouldn't fit in my mouth. You know what I mean? um, so I would just like throw in like a bro or, you know, something more fratty. Right. Right. <laughs> With a little bit of dust on your nose. You need to clean that off, by the way, man. We might post this on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, you kind of alluded to this earlier with the Thanksgiving episode and, and not really even knowing what exactly went on until after the fact. Um, but how much interaction did you have with the other actors if you weren't shooting a scene with one of them? That's a very good question. Um, uh, tons. I mean, we, we, we would hang, you know, there, another thing that's brilliant about the show, they have these, it's, it's these epic, um, epic scenes where there's so many people, uh, bachelor party, um, the, 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 the Risney ball, um, uh, the wedding, the, you know, so, so we would always see each other and hang out out. And, you know, that, that's the other thing that's kind of, I, I want to say very unique about a show, um, and without at all naming any sh- other shows <laughs> um, is that everyone here is incredibly kind and lovely and, and very, very sweet and in uh, very game to um, what sort of ones like just be, you know, f- you know, kind to one another. Um, so that's been really kind of uh, just special and, and very rare. And, you know, the majority of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are like theater actors, like New York theater actors or New York or, or, you know, Sarah's, you know, Australian theater actor or British theater actors. And so there's a vocabulary of the ensemble that is very um, familiar to us and something that we really kind of like strive under, especially with theater pressures, which are different than film and TV pressures. And so the company really got together and I would hear bits and pieces of this and that, and um but also i was so into it so i kind of didn't even want to know you know Um, yeah that's something that's really intrigued us too over the fact that i mean i know you can't speak on his behalf but Mm. um that jesse armstrong did get as many actors um like yourself who Mm. have extensive theater experience um and you know in our opinion that's something that we've talked about I wouldn't think necessarily is um, the status quo when you're talking about this kind of show with a big budget. Um, and, and yet it really feels like all the pieces fit together very well. And, you know, as you said, no one's really as worried about stealing their particular scene as they are just staying true to playing their character as best as they can. Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I, I read somewhere, someone tweeted or something that said that, like, we are, like, the, the lowest social, what is it, like, social influence show that HBO has ever had. <laughs> makes you feel, like, great and kind of, like... Yeah, I read that on the cover of Variety. It was awesome. I was, uh, wow. You can only go up. You can only go up from wow. there, though. You can only go up. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they they cast you know you know I'm, I'm not speaking about myself. They cast really wonderful, brilliant actors that have that really understand the dynamic of making a character that's not two dimensional. That's really kind of like complicated, and and unique and very um, special. Um, and 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 theater actors always have to kind of like delve into character you know i'm here doing the humans you know we did we did it off broadway then we moved to our first broadway theater we won the tony award and then we went to a, a bigger broadway theater all done by the uh, the brilliant mind of scott rudin who produced it all and all that and now we're here back again and the director joe mantello is is still 
you know, tweaking what's and making sure that it's fine tuned in a way that, you know, that, that fits our times today. Now the, the, the response for audiences, both on succession or in a play might be minuscule. You might not even notice the details there, but for us, that's what makes this kind of fun. Um, and what kind of makes the show kind of really, you know, we don't, I mean, what do we know about Marsha? I mean, what do we know about her? You know, I mean, nothing. I mean, we really know very little. Um, what, I mean, and, and what, what do we know about Jerry? What do we know about Frank? What do we know about, you know, Stewie? What do we know? We, and, and part of that is that, 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 that the, the, the casting and Jesse and the words of all these amazing writers and HBO have let us kind of like inhabit these people in very unique ways. Um, I'd like to think that Marsha, played by the awesome Hyama Bass, ends up in Blade Runner 2049. I think she, her character yes. on this show. Yeah. We know what she's character. been doing. Yeah, yeah no, We know, the spoiler alert, we know she loses an eye. Like that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm going to have to go now. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's good though. But, it, you know, it's, it's the mystery kind of what makes you guys really intrigued. I think, I think audiences make, makes the audiences kind of like, oh, fuck what's gonna happen next with these people who are these people what 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 what, what makes them tick right well it seems like maybe the audience is more in your shoes because you don't have every episode and you don't have the script and like you said you're trying to piece things together from stewie's point of view as a in and out you know we get a little more we see what everybody's doing but we don't know the background either so it, it seems like maybe you're you're in our shoes while you're you're actually acting yeah i mean there yeah and 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 I'm, you know, outside of like trying to make sure we know what we're talking about, especially on the like the business ease of it all, um, I don't really need to know. I don't, you know, and I don't need you to tell me. That's cool. Like I was just saying this, Jesse. I was like, what's cool is I let people decide who these people are. <laughs> you know, like when you meet a stranger, you're immediately because of your DNA and your backstory, put some sort of you know POV on a stranger. And you're like, this is who this person is to me now. Do you know what I mean? Um, and because of that, I'm going to like work with my tools to like deal with that. I feel like that's what's cool about Succession. Like, what do we know about Willa? <laughs> right. <laughs> what do we know besides her writing up this this epic play? Which, right. <laughs> God, God only knows what that's going to be. I thought she wrote um, the humans. Did she not write the humans? <laughs> We're really hoping for uh, Willa and Greg to. To come together. Yeah, uh, they had some chemistry, man. Yeah, that would be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? What, 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 yeah, that's right. They do the shark. Would you rather be in that shark? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I also, I got to say, they, you know, um, one of the writers, Tony, he's like, well, how did you see it when you read it and see Because I guess the only episode I did not read was five. Right. The only episode I did not feel. So, so he's like, so how did it feel to read it and then see it. And I said, I said, one of the things I said is like, you know, for, for what was cool about it for me is like how authentic it felt and how like uh, much of an indictment this all was in a weird way. Um, but what was all, but what I really wanted more than anything was that all of the, the Tom and Greg, the egg stuff just kind of like <laughs> do exactly what it ended up being. <laughs> I, I am totally team Greg. <laughs> it's my dude nicholas braun nick braun is a genius i love it i am totally and i also know people that are like not team greg at all um, i hate them I, I hate those people yeah, we, <laughs> we, we we have no sympathy for that point of view yeah yeah all right fair enough what, what team are you guys on we we way, love the dynamic <laughs> We love the dynamic of Tom and Greg. Like that's possibly our favorite part of the show. And Thomas, yeah. who is just itching to dive into that <laughs> right now, yeah. uh, he's yeah. They they are just the, the rapport between them. We talked about it this last episode, but it it just gets better and better with each passing episode. Um, I mean, their ability to play off one another. Uh, I think they are getting a better sense for each other and what starts out as a very one-sided affair of of tom honestly putting greg through almost a fraternity like hazing of well yeah. family um you know the tide turns a little bit when greg finds some of his 
inner confidence over the cruise line scandal and shredding of documents and saving one, destroying the other um, to where by the end of the show, you've seen Greg come a really far away. And even uh, his, his grandfather Ewan's line is very prophetic about, you know, if you're in a den of vipers, you're going to become like them. You're subject to find yourself inhibiting their same qualities. And so, man, I'm, I'm all about, I would love nothing more than five seasons from now after a lengthy successful run of succession. The finale is just Greg once again, you know, taking over and re-implementing Dodrick the dog um, and <laughs> young kid on the back on his first day into the parks and, and saying like, you're going to do great as they're enjoying a nice ribbon cutting ceremony and a new park opening. Um, Greg's now King of Winterfell, Lord and over the North. That would be, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat. I kind of think that would be amazing, but you know, it's true. It's, it's, it's it's when you when you surround yourself with a group of people, whoever those group of people will be, you start adapting to your environment because yeah. the human condition chameleons itself into making sure that it survives. And um, what's kind of despicable about these kind of like huge billion of you know the one percent of the one percent of the one percent is that um, is that they are uh, that that they are adapting quickly. Um, and what, what, the, what, and, and without, and what's cool about what the show does, is it doesn't, it doesn't judge them on that. I mean, it does judge them on that, but it doesn't judge them on that. For example, when, when, um, when the, the stock went under 130, right. Or whatever it was, 135 or whatever that thing was, you know, they're, as they're brainstorming and, you know, Roman's taking off his shirt. Um, he's like, she's like, I guess we can do layoffs. Jerry's like, we guess we could do layoffs. And they're like, yeah, layoffs. That's great. We could do twenty thousand layoffs. And there was no, there was no like second thought. You yeah. didn't say like twenty thousand people means maybe probably closer to eighty thousand affected lives, which means economies crashing. Yeah. And so and so when you're in that world, all you know are you know budget lines and hard and numbers, hard yeah. numbers. And and if you're honest about it, as these as these amazing creators have been we get to see how that actually unfails itself and, and no, and never have I, I, I guess one of the compliments of the show that I often hear is that, um, I never want to be rich like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it sounds, it sounds. More of a curse feels, than a blessing, man. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're talking about the 1% of the 1%. I mean, like, right. sure. We'd all like a million dollars. Um, but you know what I mean? Like the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, like, you know, is, is we're talking about some real trauma here. Um, Absolutely. Well, Ari, we want to talk a little bit about Waterwell, if, uh, if you would. It's a yeah. theater company in New York. We know that about it. Tell us more about it. Like what, I know you're, you produce stuff as well. So yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of, it's so funny the, the, that 9-11 is, it's, is, is in our lives. The humans has a huge element about 9-11 in it, though it's ever spoken. Uh, uh, one of the characters uh, and uh, their father was uh, in the, one of the buildings when it happened. And it's, and it's kind of like uh, you made a post-traumatic stress uh, for, for the father character and, and the humans. And also when 9-11 happened for, for me, I was at Indiana University at Bloomington and um, me and my um, partner, uh, business partner, Tom Ridgely, we were really struck by the idea that theater is a real element to kind of like change lives without kind of being like fancy about it. We kind of like believe that in it. And oddly enough, it is the truth. Um, and uh, so we off of that 9-11, off of that, we really kind of like formed a company called Waterwell um, uh, and, and, and formed a company that would bring theater to everyone with real serious access um, that would um, also, uh, it, you know, be responsive to the world around us and, and, and kind of be fucking fun, like entertaining, you know, cause a lot of theater can be bullshit. And so, um, <laughs> But anyway, so 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 we founded this company in, in 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 2002, and then we moved to New York. We knew nobody, and so when you know nobody and you have no money and you come from no money, what base? And you come from Indiana University, which is not known for like their theater department. Right. Um, what you start doing is you just start making shows. 
um, however the fuck that means. And so we started making shows and a lot of them, and they were all kind of being very responsive to the world that was around us shows that were, um, that were kind of also like succession and kind of like the accidental wolf and like all the work that we do very complicated, meaning that it wasn't like, this is bad and this is good and Democrats. Yay. And bro, not, none of that is very interesting to us. And also not, not, a, not, not in any way going to make real progress on earth. And so what happened is we started just doing this really fine tuned kind of work that was really entertaining. And it started like picking up steam and one of them hit and then, and then one of them hit some more. And then, and then we became kind of like one of the premier companies and making like, you know, you know, creating theater um, here in city as a group. Um, and, and that's where the writing skills for all of us kind of happened. And, and, and the operating budget, our first show was $500 and then it been like $2,000. Then we became a nonprofit. And then, you know, now, our, you know, shows go to like 200, $300,000 a pop. And, and, and around this time in 2009 ish, 2010, we were approached as a day job. I would, I would be teaching acting to high school students at a very world-class, uh, um, um, school in, in midtown Manhattan called the professional performing arts school. And around that time we put a bid in, um, for, you know, running uh, over the entire drama section of it. Um, because we thought how best to like change people's lives and to start them young. And so um, we put in a bid, we got the bid, and then we've been running the Professional Performing Arts School, which is um, grades 6 through 12, over 3,000 applications a year for 30 slots. It's a public school, wow. completely free. Um, and we... Um, and, and we have them from grades 6 through 12. They get, like, math, science um, during the day. And then from 1 o'clock to 3.30, um, they essentially are with us. And in that, in that time period, not only are we teaching them how to, you know, the basics of acting and vocal technique and movement, we're also teaching them, like, theater history. And we're teaching them, um, we're teaching them uh, I teach a class called The Artist is Citizen, which teaches them how to like use your art to like better society and then bring in honestly like famous people to come in like David Schwimmer. And he talks about that to the kids about like, Oh yeah, I'm a, yeah, I was on friends and yeah, I do, you know, uh, a lot of movies and TV shows and miniseries, but I also, I'm a huge advocate for women's rights and I'm a huge advocate for, you know, and, and really teaching these students that like there is a bigger world that needs more of, of that kind of thought process than the other. And, 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 and if it's also, if it works, it could add to new successes that you don't even know about. And, and though as, as exciting and thrilled I am to be on a, on, on a show like Succession, that, that it kind of like pales in comparison to kind of this last year we had um, this lovely actress um, uh, by the name of Brittany Narcisse who just got into Juilliard. And we had another actress that um, is going into Yale. And those are the success stories that I think will really kind of benefit. So anyway, the education style stuff was kind of like, lifting all along and and the theater side was lifting all along and and the shows that we would do just to give you an idea is i did a, a production of hamlet where i played hamlet and we set it in 1917 tehran Mm-hmm. just as the British were coming in to like kind of carve up the Middle East, which was a very pinnacle time for, you know, kind of like why we have kind of the troubles that we have now. Um, uh, and but one of the tricky things about it is that the Iranians were into it. The Iranians kind of were wanting to westernize. And 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 that's the part of history that's really all of a sudden you have this Hamlet that we do, a cast of not only a cast of, of Middle Eastern actors, mostly Iranian, but also a design team that's Iranian as well, doing Shakespeare's Hamlet in English and in Farsi to audiences that are both Iranian and American, or Western, I should say. And there would be huge untranslated Farsi where the Iranians would only be laughing and the Americans would be like, what's going on? And then, and then, and, but it gives the American or whatever, the Western speakers, uh, uh, an idea of like, that's how it feels sometimes when, when an immigrant comes into a show and they don't understand everything. So to put, the, to include everyone in that. And so another show that we're doing, it's not really announced, but um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a show um, called The Courtroom, where I've adapted these, um, these, these transcripts from a deportation camp, case that happened in 2007, and we're going to be putting them inside of an actual courtroom. And again, the deportation case is not black and white. It's, it's complicated. The law is very clear on like what, what happened here. So anyway, that's the theater stuff that we're making. 
you know. And again, I say this, it sounds like I'm talking about like boring. They're all entertaining as well. They're all like <laughs> really like energized and fun. And I think that's one of the things that really is is a big deal to me is because I'm a big fan of like westerns and thrillers and 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 television and comic books and and you know all and like great novels and all that stuff as well as um you know really trying to put a put a social bent on it that is not just like black and white or blue and red or this versus us you know i always say to my students i say like it's not like it stop stop saying like us versus them that's like the mentality that we live in it's us versus them it's more like us and them like how do we tell kind of both of those things and just kind of like get messy with it and be fine with the messiness it's cool it's totally cool and that's and then while all those things kind of like lifted off you know i had this idea for the accidental wolf and and spark yeah. from uh um have you guys seen it We've been we actually so when we started talking to you, um, a few of us started watching it, and dude, it is it's cool, man. And you season two is is it in the works now? It's shot. We are editing right now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Accidental Wolf came from you know what happens when you know massive privilege and money and access. What happens if the other side of like violence and poverty and the end, the opposite end of the world come into that world. What do we actually do? What will we actually do in those scenarios? And then because, you know, of the theater community, I can get, you know, Kelly O'Hara, seven time yeah. Tony nominee, Laurie Metcalf, and Amy Landecker from Transparent and Dennis O'Hare from American Horror Story. And you know, in season one, there's thirty-seven Tony nominations. In season one and two, there's seventy-seven. Wow. Um, and it's like Judith Light and Danny Bernstein and a lot of just unbelievable actors, Paul Sparks, Michael Chaternis, like these phenom actors, um, and get them all in the same room and really tell a story about, you know, um, women's choice and privilege and um, Sierra Leone and Ebola uh, crisis and 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 how we can all like dive into the, 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 these things together and and you know we did it under the auspices of entertainment because I love Touch of Evil I love Chinatown I love you know all the President's Men those are my movies and so mm-hmm. and and I wanted to make a you know a little bit of that and because we're theater people we know how to put two nickels together and make it look like a million dollars. And so, (laughs) and then that kind of just kind of blew up out of nowhere, you know, kind of, and again, three years ago, everyone and their brothers, like, a short form thriller? What? <laughs> what do you well, mean? And that seems to be the advantage of you you coming from like right now, the humans is a one act. So you know you gotta get to the drama, you gotta hit the really high points quickly. And that yeah. seems to lend itself well to a web series. Like you know that yeah. you've got the first two minutes, you pretty much have to establish what's going on. Right there. Okay, her Who husband knows people? French. Okay, she's a mother who's maybe not getting as much support as she needs, even though she's wealthy. Uh, mm-hmm. So you got to mm-hmm. hit those right away. So I, I think yeah, that and, I think that might have helped. Yeah, and also you know because we I'm so interested in like you know the the, the world of content. Uh, how do we engage people and include people in ways that you know? So you get you can get text messages from Kelly and Laurie Metcalf can leave you a voicemail and you know like you can have all of these things as you unravel each of these chapters and it just kind of blew up and it blew up in a way that I didn't even really expect because it the the, the demographic everyone is telling us the only people that want you know stuff online are ages twelve to twenty five or some bullshit like that and the reality <laughs> is that's not the case that's not the case at all you know middle america right now is consuming the show in 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 massive amounts and they're consuming it at different time periods um more than the things that we were arguing and then while we were making this thing and no one was doing anything like this jeffrey katzenberg said i'm making new tv which is this you know billion dollar venture where he's making short form premium content and so now all of a sudden and then the Emmy nomination happened, which was a complete shock to us. It wasn't like we had a campaign or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now more and more people, now, now the conversations have shifted into like, well, not, no longer do we want that. How, how do we get more shows out of Waterwell Films? Uh, and so that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. What started as a small thing at Indiana University seems to be a revolution. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> well, to small, you know, it's small little steps. I don't know about the word revolution, but I do know that people, we have a great team of people here 
uh, well, not here in New York, that uh, work on the education side and, and, and the theater side and the film side. Um, and to list all their names would take forever, but they are amazing people that are just really kind of working to make, uh, 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 you know, real new art for people uh, and in ways that can kind of like uh, help and change people's lives. That's awesome, man. Well, can you tell us about any other upcoming projects? I know you're doing The Humans right now in London. What else is coming up for uh, besides Succession Season 2? Season 2 of Succession is happening. I'm going, it seems like I might be doing another play that I can't say too much about yet, but it involves, um, as an actor, it involves um, um, some, some people that were not allowed to come to the States because of the new travel ban. And so I might be jumping sure. in and trying to help, help, help there. Um, yeah. And working on the courtroom, um, season two of Succession. Um, and on the education side, you know, kind of like bridging the gap and trying to get into more and more schools, trying to really like uh, expand the mission of trying to like pe- change people's lives through art. That's great, man. Well, the last question we want to ask, and, and what's something yeah. I like to ask is, what's the last great thing you saw? Oh, I rewatched. A Separation, which is an Iranian foreign language film um, that won the Oscar in 2013. I'm making that up because it's about a courtroom trial. And uh, I can't get this movie out of my head. And I think everyone should watch it because I think it is what a perfect drama is. It's highly entertaining, unbelievably nerve-wracking, and made by... um, uh, the Incredible. Oh, no. Why did I say that? No, I can't remember his name. Made by an amazing director whose name I can't remember. Um, <laughs> and uh, he is... Uh, oh, God. It's, all the Iranians are going to, like, fucking go after me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll actually we'll edit this. Yeah. Edit that. I, I just want to say that, uh, that, that the movie is brilliant. And if you want to see what happens in societies where they're doing with, with a lot of like censorship restrictions and how they're getting away or, or, and around that by talking about real honest day-to-day lives in a, in a very taut thriller. That is something I really highly recommend. Um, I think it's, 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 it's absolutely just like fantastic and brilliant. And I've seen it three or four times. But I just rewatched it again. Um, and uh, what else? And I'm going to be, um, not, this is so nerdy, but I'm going to rewatch All About Eve because that's a movie that needs to be rewatched once a year. Sure. That's and, awesome. Aaron, we can't thank you enough for your time. Please, guys. Um, thank we really you. appreciate it. And actually, uh, before we have you go too, boys, I think we need to have him uh, partake in our, our annual sign-off. We end every pod with uh, one by one. We each just stare into our camera and say, fuck off. <laughs> I can't. Uh, you know, oh, God, I've got to tell you, Brian Cox came and saw the humans last night. Oh, that's fucking that's awesome. 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 And Brian talked about fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that. He was like, I just love that I got to say, ah, oh, fuck off. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to do my impersonation of Brian Cox doing fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off, boys. Fuck, fuck off. off. Thanks a lot, man. Fuck off. All right, man. Thanks, Ari. Bye. Talk to you later.